We have a lot of versions of that question, Lord. Maybe that's why you made roses. That We see in so much of the dimensions of life and the chaos and the confusion that uh, somehow Jesus in and through you, you bring order and beauty to the chaos. So as we open your word together this morning, I pray that you lead us and guide us in the midst of all the kinds of questions that we ask that are just like that to the one who (laughs) brings order to us and love and beauty and strength and the one who cares. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. We are continuing a journey, as Sasha just mentioned here. You can see on my left, your your right, that we have um, uh, this booth over here. And if you were here last week or got to see online, you saw what, something that Ryan built to help us get into the headspace of what it would have been like to be a person celebrating what what is called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. It was also called the Feast at times of ingathering. It celebrated the late harvest, the end of the harvest, but it also celebrated God's provision for his people while they were in the, while they were in the wilderness. And so it was a very it was an amazing festival and feast in Jerusalem to celebrate God's provision. And as we open God's word as you heard Sasha read, we are in the middle of that feast. So it goes, it's three sections in John chapter 7. John chapter 7 is a week in the life of Jesus built around that feast. So last week, as, as Ryan opened God's word for us, the, we were at the beginning of the feast, and we have conflict, and Jesus finally arriving at the feast. This is the middle of the feast, which is where, we, where Sasha began the reading. And then next week, we will be at the end, or the last day of the feast, as Ryan brings it home. So kind of like stories were, when you're in the middle of a story, it's hard to make sense of where the story is going unless you know the end, right? And so when you're kind of at the bottom of that story cycle, it can be a little chaotic, a little confusion. If you are a fan of some kind of version of a crime drama or something like that, you know that if it's an hour-long program, when you're at 30 minutes, you have no idea who did it, right? That's the goal. That's the bottom of the story cycle, and we're kind of in a little bit of the bottom of the story cycle. So as Sasha read that, I don't know about how it strikes you, but for me, it strikes me that it is full of chaos. It's just ping-ponging back and forth, and it's full of confusion. People are like, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? And it just, and then it's few, full of lots of different people adding their own voice to the chaos. And, and then as it continues to go on, it escalates into just outright conflict, like Boom, you know, and here we are. And so we go from chaos into some confusion, into some conflict, and then it doesn't resolve because Ryan planned the sermon series and he wanted next week. And so I get this one. It's like, thanks, Ryan. He's right back here. It's like, okay, I'm just going to get it right out there for this. It's going to all be in a nice little bow next week for Ryan. But no, I, that's not true at all. That's <laughs> only... Half true. Anyway, so (laughs) in the midst of all of this chaos and confusion here, we find that God the Son is in the midst of his people, that he is really hidden in plain sight, that 
the Son of God, the Word who became flesh, is right in the middle of them, and we get to see him knowing the rest of the story, but he is in some ways right there and yet imperceptible to the people. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the confusion, even in the midst of the, the conflict in there. I don't know about you, but I have lots of versions of hidden in plain sight. You may be with me if you're of an age into Where's Waldo, right? Remember Where's Waldo? Can, anybody? Yeah, thank you. A few of us are kind of there in there as well. Debbie and I had a moment when our older son um, uh, was little. We were staying at some friend's house, and uh, they, they were not there and our older son was, uh, he's, you know, a year and a half or whatever, and he's in a foreign place, and he was never a great sleeper, and so he's not sleeping great. So I, being, you know, the thoughtful and dutiful husband, I was going to get up in the middle of the night to attend to my son. Some of you are like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Yeah, that didn't happen to my family. But I got up or whatever, so I walk into this foreign bedroom or whatever where my son is fussing, and I lean down to just, you know, see how he's doing or whatever, and rather than finding his little body, I find the body of an adult person who happens to be my wife, who is now being attacked by an adult person as she's attending our son and she's already beaten me to it. So she does the shriek scream that you would uniquely do when you think you are being accosted in your own, or well, somebody else's home, but you get the drift, right? And so she shriek screams and then I football scream, Debbie, right? I kind of go into that, T, right? And she's like, ah! I'm like, run! Debbie! And off we go, and we're back and forth. So we have like 30 seconds of that adrenalized screaming before I realize as I've grabbed her, she begins to believe it's actually me because I'm beginning to sound like I'm possessed by a demon at this point, right? Here we go. But I am hidden in plain sight. It's still pitch black. We still can't see each other. We're trying to recognize each other's voices from screech, screeching, and footballing right in the middle there. But in that moment of hidden in plain sight, it's like, no, we are who we are. But we are completely hidden to one another for that. You probably have your own versions of lots of different things that are like that, right? Where something or someone becomes hidden in plain sight. And that's what we find in the middle of John chapter 7, that Jesus, God the Son, is hidden in plain sight. So the, the passage breaks down in the midst of the chaos and the confusion and the conflict into two paragraphs, really. And we have those sketched out, and we're going to see a fundamental pattern in the paragraphs, okay? So I'm going to hit the paragraphs briefly, and then I want us to engage with the pattern that we find in the paragraphs, because I think that it's going to help bring order to the chaos. So here's the, here's the, fundamental, here's the fundamental pattern in, in there, and then we'll go through the paragraphs. Jesus is misunderstood. He speaks truth to the misunderstanding, and then third, he casts a vision for what life in his kingdom will actually be like. So he's misunderstood. He is, he, he, he excuse me, 
Um, he brings truth to that, to that misunderstanding, and then he casts a vision in addition to that for where it is that his kingdom can take to get out of the chaos and the conflict and the disorder of all of that. Okay, so here's the two, here's the two paragraphs. Here's the first paragraph that we have, verses 14 through, through 24. You can turn there in your Bibles. We're just going to look at a couple of places where we intersect with this. The, the first one is a question that really isn't a question, and it's, it goes something like this. Where does your teaching Jesus come from? You may have heard that as Sasha read here. The Jews, therefore, in verse 15, marveled. That sounds like a positive word in English. It's not really a positive thing in this thing, saying, how is it that this man has learning when, which, when he has never studied? Okay? So in other words, it, it's really, it comes as a question, but really it's an accusation. And you know when you've been on the wrong end of something like that, right? That someone asks you a question, but really it's an accusation. And so the accusation goes something like this. You didn't go to our places and study under our people, so you don't belong. You have no business teaching with this kind of authority. You have no business teaching in this kind of direct kind of way here. And so Jesus' answer to that as he walks through it, so there's the misunderstanding, right? One of the misunderstandings in the paragraph. Jesus' response to that is he brings truth, right? That's the pattern. Misunderstanding, Jesus is going to bring truth, and his truth comes, he, he come, comes like this. First of all, he says, look, my, my teach, the source of my teaching is the Father. Well, that's going to really de-escalate all the conflict, isn't it, right? So here we go. But he's, going to bring, he's bringing the truth. It's true, right? He doesn't soft-pedal that. The source of my teaching is from the Father. That's where it comes from. And then Jesus adds a further layer of truth to this to get to the heart of the matter, which Jesus does in constantly in John's gospel. And the heart of the matter factor that Jesus brings goes something like this, Right? Has not Moses, in verse 19, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? This is a theme that is picked up all that goes all the way back to chapter 5, verse 18, where they're beginning to seek to kill Jesus. Their response, right, now goes next level. Imagine being the recipient of this kind of, it's no longer a question, it's an accusation right? The crowd says in verse 20, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. In one sense, that's a euphemism for you're out of your mind, but in another sense, it's pretty direct, that you are from the evil one. Okay, can we just pause and feel the weight of that for a moment before we blow through that speed bump? Can you imagine being misunderstood at that level? We started out with Jesus, where does your teaching come from? Or where is the source of your teaching? Jesus says it comes from the Father. And then he begins to address the truth about where they are at. And they say, you're demonic. Oh, okay. Wow. I don't know if you've ever kind of had someone say, you are satanic. You are. It's kind of like it's smelling salts a little bit, right? And they're saying it to the Son of God. And Jesus, in his own incredible way, is not going to end the conversation 
there. He's not going to say, well, okay, that's enough of this. This is nonsense. You guys are actually out of your mind. He's actually going to bring this third element in, and this third element is he's going to begin to cast vision for what his kingdom is actually like and what it looks like to live in it on planet Earth. He just does it in a really short kind of way at the back end of this first paragraph, verses 15, excuse me, yeah, verses 15 through 24 where he closes it out, he closes it out with this, this statement. In verse 23, he says, if, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you really angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a whole man's, a man's body completely, whole body completely well? So his conclusion, here's the vision of the life in the kingdom. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right or righteous judgment. So there's the fundamental pattern, right? Jesus is misunderstood. Jesus brings truth. Jesus casts a vision for what life in the kingdom could actually be like. Now, you would hope, right, that this level of truth would de-escalate. People would humble themselves. They would say, yeah, that sounds really good. I want to live there. Now, you heard when Sasha read, right? It just keeps going. And so the second paragraph brings this in. But before we get to that, I just want to kind of acknowledge, if you will, the level of chaos that we find in here. here I, I, preparing this last week, I just counted the question marks. It's kind of geeky or whatever, but I did. Okay, here, here, so here's the question marks because you, you hear them in there. We have 11 questions, and we have five sources of questions, different sources, right? We have the Jews, and they bracket the passage, beginning and end in there. Then we have Jesus. He asks a couple of questions. The multitude asks a question uh, in, in verse 20. Some of the people of Jerusalem, which apparently are separate, from the multitude. They ask a separate question. And then many of the multitude ask a question in verse 31. And they ask all kinds of things. And so again, we acknowledge chaos, confusion, conflict, right? It's just all, it's rank with it. So the first passage was, Jesus, where does your teaching come from? And we see this fundamental pattern of being misunderstood, bringing truth, and then casting a vision for what life is like in the kingdom. But the second paragraph kind of goes, <laughs> I don't know, it goes almost worse. I don't know how you can go worse than you have a demon, but here we go. Because the second pa paragraph is, where do you come from? Where do you come from? Because now we have a question about Jesus' identity. Some of the people of Jerusalem, verse 25, say, Is this, isn't this the guy they were seeking to kill? Wait a second. If you're just pausing here for a second and you're saying, okay, I'm really, really trying hard to follow along and not get on my phone to check the score of games right now, but you're about to lose me on this because of the chaos and confusion. Because didn't someone just say, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you? Yes, they did. And now in verse 25, we have some of the people of Jerusalem said, hey, wait, wait a second. Hey, this is the guy they're trying to kill. So few verses before, it's like you have a demon, no one's trying to kill you. A few verses later, it's, oh, yeah, this is the guy we're trying to kill. Why, why aren't they killing him? Why, why, what's he doing here? Why, why is he talking here? He's out in public and, like, arrest the guy. Do something with him, but we're tired of you squawking. And off we go. So chaos, right? 
and confusion and conflict and people ping-ponging back and forth because they asked Jesus, Jesus, where do you come from? Again, the fundamental pattern. Misunderstanding, truth, vision for life in the kingdom. So that fundamental, that fundamental pattern of misunderstanding, Jesus addresses, addresses that in verse 28 by saying, you know me and you know where I'm from, but I've not come of my own accord. He who sent me and him, he who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So now they're going to arrest him, right? It just continues to escalate in the conflict. But Jesus brings truth, and then he casts a vision for life in the kingdom. Where does that come from? It comes kind of in a cryptic form but I want to try to develop something here and connect a couple of dots in John's gospel. In the back end of this paragraph, Jesus, where do you come from? Where, what's, where, do you, where does your teaching come from and where do you come from? Jesus says this in verse 33. Then he said, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Well, this throws all kinds of confusion right back at the feet of the people that are bringing questions to Jesus. And this is the part, as Ryan begins to develop this this next week, that Jesus is going to, Jesus is going to fulfill a promise. Now, if you're a reader of John's gospel and you've read ahead, which many of the people have and which many of you have as well, something began to kind of go in your mind. Here's what probably began to go. Jesus is going to depart. And in John chapter 16, he's going to say something that, in my opinion, unless Jesus had said it, I wouldn't buy it. Here's what he's going to say. He says to his disciples, it's better for you that I leave. Hmm? Hmm? No, it's better for you that I leave. Now, I've thought about that a thousand times because I think if you, if you kind of play the game of, hey, so if you could live at any time in history, what would it be? Well, one of my short lists would be like, I'd like to be on the fringes of the disciples. I'm not really sure I want to be one of the 12 in there too, you know, because... They're kind of alive and in living color, but the rest of them, you know, not so much or whatever. So kind of in that fringe thing or whatever, but watching people do crazy stuff and learn to walk by faith and being, being on, on that. And so, so in that, right, that Jesus says it, wanting to be on that fringe, I would imagine that the impact would be absolutely stunning. Like just the miracles, right? Like, wait a second. So all these people cut through the roof, got these ropes, they lower this dude in. It's just completely crazy crowded. Jesus says to the guy, get up and walk, and he walks out. Say what? Like on and on and on it goes. So I think that would be an awesome time to like be around, right, and be on the fringes or maybe not even in the fringes, be a part of a, a group of, of people, maybe the unnamed disciples in there, and Jesus says, no, it's going to be better. What? The reason it's going to be better, Jesus said, was because when he leaves, he's going to send the Spirit, and that's where you and I live today. We live in the wake of the fact that God Almighty has come not to live around us, but in 
us. So Jesus, in this roundabout kind of way, casts the vision for the fact that I'm going to go, but I'm going to go, and I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to send the Spirit, the readers of John understand in there as well. So there's the vision piece, misunderstanding, truth, and vision for what life is like in the kingdom that you and I get to live in right now. So those are the, that's the fundamental kind of breakdown. Jesus, where, did your, where does your teaching come from, and, and where do you come from? And we have the misunderstanding, and we have the truth, and then we have the vision in there. Why does all that kind of stuff matter? Well, I'd kind of like to go back through and hit those three levels. Not just to say why they're just kind of... A, about this, but really to connect our lives with some of those places in there. Because to me, they all matter massively in our journey as disciples of Jesus, okay? So here they are. Here's the three uh, right up here on the screen. This is the flow. Jesus understands being misunderstood. Jesus patiently and relentlessly presents truth, and then Jesus graciously casts vision for the kingdom that's about to break in through the power of the Spirit. Okay, well, how do we connect? Well, how does this all matter? Okay, Jesus understands being misunderstood. I've spent a lot of time with him on this one. Because I don't know about you, but when you're misunderstood or worse, and it really gets attacked at the level of motive of your heart, of your intent, of your purpose, of your come from, of your this is what I want and this is what I'm trying to do, it really gets you. It like gets you way down deep. What is that, what are you even talking about? Okay, well let's talk about marriage, right? You, You may have had times in your marriage where what you intended to communicate to your spouse was the exact opposite of what was received. Okay, that's probably going to be all male. So can I get a male amen for that, please? Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Four of you join me with that. The rest of you, I'd like to learn from you. Yes. So that happens, right? Here's my intent. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I'm trying to communicate through these actions, through this date night that I set up, through this something or other in there too. And it is the polar opposite that is received for whatever reason in there. But, you know, okay, that that happens, but it happens, right? In marriage, it can. It can happen in families, of course, right? Just try to coach your kid's team, right? And so here you are, and you're, (laughs) wait for it, you're a volunteer, right? You're trying to do something with fill in the blank of whatever your kid does, right? Your kid's a cheer kid. Your kid is a sports kid. Your kid is a something kid, right? So you go out onto a soccer field or onto a baseball field or onto a football field, and you're trying your darndest, and you've got people that are in your business, right? And I had moments, this is literally true, I had had moments where people came to my house, and they were fully adrenalized. And I thought, we are going to go. Like, oh my gosh, we are going to go. And so I'm kind of like responding a little bit to this, like, okay, this is not really, but you know, I'll be honest with you, as long as he throws the fur, I'm going to, right, here we go. And so Debbie says, well, wouldn't that be great? 
Pastor Osborne gets into it or whatever with little league parent in there too. I said, yeah, it'd be awesome. Wouldn't it be great? Yeah. I'd drop him like a bad habit. I've been waiting for years to do this. You got to be epic. Yeah. As long as he flows the first, you know, here we go. Beautiful, right? Tough guy. Yeah. So you have all that misunderstand. You're just trying to do something for kids and families and parents and all that kind of stuff, and you're misunderstood. And you're misunderstood in a really profound kind of way. And it's like, oh, my gosh, what is going on here? And then, of course, there are much, much darker places to this, right? Way darker places where you get that aspect where you are judged or impugned or castigated or fired or whatever it is that goes on in there. And you're misunderstood. And we could add a lot to misunderstood. Jesus understands being exhausted. Jesus understands being, and we could just go down a whole long list of places where Jesus understands that the perfect Son of God regularly where he went, what followed him was chaos and confusion and conflict and profound misunderstanding to the point where people looked him in the eye and says, you have a demon, and this is not the only place. It's going to happen in John chapter 8, and it's going to happen again in John chapter 10, where they look him in the eye and say, you have a demon, you're out of your mind. And that's just in John's gospel. See, Jesus understands being misunderstood. And so in that, we join him and come alongside to be able to say, Jesus, you get this. You're not offering me a why, but you are offering me this access to you who get it in a way that I can't possibly because you were perfect and I'm not. And yet you understand. You get it. You join me in that. The Psalms are full of lament Psalms in which we cry out. God gives us language to be able to cry out to him to say, this is what it's like here. It doesn't mean that we're even right. It means that it's the language that pulls out of our heart the raw honesty of just being human because what we see here in this misunderstood is the raw honesty of being human. Jesus was really human. And he's taken shots from people all over the place. But there's another aspect of this as well, that Jesus patiently and relentlessly presents the truth, right? So he doesn't just stop there. He's not just kind of a victim, or he doesn't just say, oh, this is really hard or whatever. He begins to bring correction in there. He begins to bring truth, and he begins to bring truth to us even in our discipleship journey. And this truth, right, is designed, as we're going to see in John chapter 8, this truth, is, this truth is so profound that it actually sets people free. Jesus' own words in John chapter 8, he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And this, that's, a, that's such a multi-layered, multi-dimensional kind of truth. But we see truth, in effect, setting us free kind of all, all the time, right? On some really kind of basic and base levels. So, okay, I, I tweaked my back earlier in the year. Not the first time I've tweaked my back. I'm, whatever, I'm old. So, so I tweak my back. It's like, okay, I got to get around this. You know, I got to do some exercises or whatever that keep me from back tweaking and whatever it is and do that. So I, you know, I went to that repository of, of infinite wealth, YouTube, right? 
to find out how to do exercises that help my back. So I did that, and I started doing those exercises, and weeks became months, and my back is still like, eh, not really working for me, and there too. So then I went back to the infinite wisdom of YouTube and found out that the exercises that I was doing for my back actually were inflaming my back. Yes. So I was making my back hurt more. Some of you are like, dude, you are not the sharpest tool. And I know that's really true. Yes, yes, amen. So I quit doing those and started doing some others. But that truth, right, set me, what? Free. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, I was like, oh, wow. Sometimes these exercises, they kind of, hell, my back feels a little better in here. Good, or whatever. More golf for me, Debbie. Here we go. Yeah, so, yeah. But that aspect of the truth setting us free, Jesus patiently and relentlessly presents us with the truth. And so over and over and over again, both in John's gospel and even in this section, Jesus presents us with the truth. And there's kind of two things fundamentally in the good news of Jesus that he presents us with on a regular basis. One is how profoundly desperate we are apart from him. The Bible uses the starkest possible language for this. (laughs) It calls us dead. The Apostle Paul talked about this in Ephesians chapter 2, and when you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, people who are dead cannot make themselves undead. Amen? Like, you can't do it. Things that are dead cannot make themselves undead. And that stark language is designed to help us embrace the reality of our spiritual condition. And at the same time, in the same moment, in the same sweep, we are invited to see how incredibly and profoundly and eternally we are loved in and through Jesus that he went to the cross for us, he rose from the grave from us, and so those both ends at the same time become kind of that framework for the way that he presents truth to us and that he patiently and relentlessly helps us embrace both of those things at the same time. See, part of our deadness and being made alive in Jesus helps us understand what the source of real life is so that we don't keep getting on a treadmill of trying to fix ourselves and trying to improve ourselves and just trying to do that. We actively participate in what God is doing, but we never think we're the source of life. He's the source of life. But the second aspect in there as well is that we embrace and drink in and live in the fact that this thing was always about grace from the word go, that we are eternally loved by him. And then finally, that graciously cast vision for the kingdom that is about to break in, that all of this begins to happen in time. And so the presence of God, the Spirit, comes into our life to not say, well, wait patiently until the, good, until the good days are going to come, but rather no life is broken in, begins to change you from the inside out, and you become these kinds of people right here in time on planet Earth, right in the midst of the chaos, <laughs> right in the midst of the confusion, and right even in the midst of the conflict. That right in the midst of all of that, because Jesus hidden in plain sight is now a part of us. So what I want to do in this final time here is I want to kind of walk through this a little bit in a prayerful 
kind of way. I'm going to invite the band to come up. They're going to come up here and begin to set up here just in a, in a minute. And in these last couple of minutes, I just want to walk through this because there, the chances, it seems to me, are good that you kind of get being misunderstood. That you've got some places maybe in your life where you think, okay, yeah, I want to embrace that. And, the, and to embrace the truth that God has for us in terms of living this out on planet Earth and to cast that vision. So I want to invite you to join me in prayer. I'm just going to walk through those three things together. We're going to close and we're going to sing to the Lord. Okay, why don't you join me in prayer. So Father, we come to you in and through the powerful name of Jesus to see in the midst of the chaos and the confusion and even the conflict, you begin to bring order. And so, Jesus, we want to come to you as your people before you in those places where, well, being misunderstood just seems way too shallow and (laughs) doesn't capture the pain. But those places where maybe we've been accused, maybe we've been derided, maybe we've been castigated, maybe we've been a whole bunch of different things. And to acknowledge before you that that you get that and that you understand in a deep and profound way and not only that, but you join us in it. That you, Jesus, are hidden in plain sight because you are right next to us in all of it. And Jesus, even as we come up against these places where we begin to see your truth and, and we realize that kind of like I was doing with my, my back, I, I, was, I was doing the wrong thing. I thought I was doing the right thing and I'm doing the wrong thing. And you graciously correct, but you correct to set us free. And so we want to lean into and learn from your truth to be set free. To see you as the source of truth, eternal truth. And to say, I want to live in the freedom of being a daughter and a son of God. And Jesus, this kingdom that you have brought, that you have brought to us, we ask that you would continue to bring it to us as individuals and as a community, that we would see the beauty and the majesty of your kingdom breaking in so that we wouldn't live in futility and just throwing our hands up and saying, well, but just the opposite. We would say we would present ourselves regularly and wholly to you to say, Jesus, would you take the loaves and fish of my life would you use them for your glory and the good of our community Jesus thank you for being hidden in plain sight but never hidden and so we worship you now as we sing back to you it's in your name we pray amen I can invite you to stand and let's worship the king